to the Cleverly Changing Podcast. Our podcast is all about learning how to educate your kids. I'm one of the hosts, Elle, and this is episode 36. Today's show is all about homeschooling children who have special educational needs. If you find yourself homeschooling for whatever reason, this is an episode that you'll need to hear. If you're a new listener to our podcast, I'd like to thank you for joining us. I'm an entrepreneur, mom to twin girls, and this podcast is not only for parents who homeschool their children, but it is for all parents who want to supplement their child's education. Our goal is to provide you with encouragement, insight about African history, and support as a parent and home educator. New episodes are uploaded bi-weekly, so please remember to subscribe and tell a friend. If you want to keep this podcast going, consider supporting it by donating via our Patreon page at patreon.com slash cleverlychanging. Today's episode is brought to you by Black Wall Street, the board game, and Play Black Wall Street Academy. This site supports the education of financial literacy for Black families. Visit playblackwallstreet.com and use the discount code CLEVERLY, that's C, capital C-L-E-V-E-R-L-Y, all caps, for 25% off site-wide. The discount cannot be combined with any other discounts. Today's proverb, which is a Congolese proverb, is... The art of negotiating is acquired from childhood. It's now time for the word of the episode. Maisha means life in Swahili. mine I'm going to be talking about Marie Copney, also known to some as Little Miss Flint. In 2016, she wrote a letter to President Obama talking about the Flint, Michigan water crisis. Despite her odds, he actually came. Despite Marie's best efforts, the problem has still not been fixed today and people are still protesting about the Flint, Michigan water crisis. The cause of such a crisis is because the place where they were getting their water switched from Lake Huron to the Flint River to save the state money. Lead poisoning in a child can damage a child's brain and nervous system, slow growth and development, learning and behavior problems, hearing and speech. We are in the grown folk section, and today we are talking about special needs. We have a guest, and so I thank you so much for joining us. I would love for you to introduce yourself to our listeners and let, it, let them know who you are and what you do. 
Hi, everyone. So I am Jocelyn Noel. I am a special education high school administrator. I've been in the field for 18 years. Um, surprisingly, um, this is not something that I wanted to do when I went to school. I actually went to school for mass communications, but Unfortunately, um, after all the internships and things, when I moved back home to Philadelphia, I could not get a job. So I ended up becoming a substitute teacher and I really liked it. And what they do is they put uncertified teachers into those classrooms with special needs children. And I just kind of fell in love and I went back, got my master's in um, special education, multi multicultural education and have been rocking out ever since. Awesome. That's terrific. That's I know that right now we're in a different season because if you, you know, I don't know when you're listening to this podcast, but if you are listening to it in May or, you know, when we're recording it, we are living through a pandemic right now. And for all of us, this is the first time when we've had to be quarantined and mandate it to stay at home. So this is just a whole new season for all of us. So for you, how, how has things changed during this pandemic? <sighs> Let me tell you, um, I have a staff of 14 people that I am responsible for just within um, the special education department. And this is nothing like I've ever seen before. So um, one, dealing with the population that we deal with, it's very difficult to get kids who are used to having tactile things to now switch them to logging onto a computer, engaging with the internet when that wasn't their norm. So it's been, it's been a challenge. And then getting parents to kind of buy into the system is another thing. So it, it's been a challenge. I mean, I can only imagine how, for the kids, I would think that the shift would be, you know, somewhat overwhelming because it's so different. And if they are in high school, that means it's different for every single other grade that they've ever been into. And so you would think by high school, they would be in a, a different position as far as knowing their routine. And so to disrupt that, that could be just a bit overwhelming. It is, not to mention um, the population that I work with is bilingual. So I work with, um, I would say 99% Hispanic students. So we have a language barrier on top of students who have maybe a learning disability, who may suffer from anxiety, who may be life skills students. So on top of the disability, we have so many other things that impact. And then as, a, as an administrator, we had to rush and do surveys to see is this even equitable to our audience? Like um, school populations, you do surveys every year to see who has internet access, who has technology access, but now you have to go in and make this equitable for everyone. And we found out that a lot of our students may have had internet with no technology. Then you have students who had nothing. So trying to get them that access, it was definitely a challenge. Hmm, wow. Were you, was the school that you work with able to distribute more supplies? 
Yeah, so um, we had um, a three round rollout plan. So after we did our initial um, touch points to see who had access, who didn't, we had to purchase um, tablets that had hotspots internally. So that way they now had internet and a device to work from. Our next wave was for students who had um, internet but did not have a device. So we did the Chromebooks that we already purchased at the school. And then the next round were for um, people who had multiple children who maybe had to share a device. So we made sure each student had something that they could work from. Because if you think about it, we're all sheltered in place. So you have parents who might need that one device that they had. So we just really had to get to know our student population. And we are a school that ranges from kindergarten to 12, but I'm responsible for the high school aspect. So going from the kindergarten students all the way up to middle school, then high school, it, it was a lot of work. Yeah, it looks wow. like you all are handling that well, because I was concerned about that in our own county. I was thinking, you know, what about those who have disabled parents or the students are disabled? What about the parent that only has one computer in the house and because they're working from home, they're using it. What about the parent right. that has to go to school, I mean, excuse me, has to go to work and the children are at home and then the older children have to take care of the younger children. And you know, what about those who are raised by their grandparents? Or what about children who have addicts for parents? I mean, you know, it goes a lot deeper than just, you know, hey, give away free computers and laptops and free internet and all this thing and expect for everything to, you know, still go well. But you all seem to have figured out a lot of those questions that I had. Well, that's a good thing because we were up, there was a lot of um, conference calls, Zoom meetings, and we really had to look at our population and then we had to be realistic. How many people, like one, is it ethical to make students, you know, do this as an educator? We can't force you to log on to a Zoom session or a Google Classroom or something like that. And then impacting the needs that our students have, it's like, well, I might can't log on because my parents don't want you looking into our house. So that's a whole nother added layer of how can we still be there for our kids, but understanding that in the homes, there are things going on. So it, this new thing, we're inviting you into our private spaces. So we really had to map out what that looks like. So you said that you work with special education and that you work with children who are bilingual. What type of special needs are we specifically talking about? Oh, it ranges. So when you're identified as a special education student, it could be um, a number of things. Um, it's 13 touch points that they look at. So it could be anything from um, other health impairment, which is usually our ADHD kids, um, things that are behaviorally related. We have specific learning disabilities. We have autistic students. We have students who are deaf, um, those who are visually impaired. You have um, the life skills cohort. So there's a range of students um, who can be identified. Um, mostly within the public school system, you'll see the SLD, the emotional support students, the other health impairment, 
Um, you'll have the life skills cohort, which is our higher needs um, population. But for the children that I serve, most of them are a specific learning disability or other health impairment. Okay. And emotional support. Wow. I don't think I knew it was such a broad and vast range of that it yeah. holds. Wow. Wow. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's a large population and I didn't imagine that they would all be in the same classrooms. I would have thought. Well, they are not. Oh, okay. So, so when you're identified, you have something called itinerant learning, supplemental learning, full-time support learning. So there's a range on how students are educated. Um, we practice something called inclusion where you can be an identified student, but you are in the classroom with majority of your peers who may not have a disability. And so you start with the least restrictive environment. So you're my child, you get tested. They say you have a specific learning disability and say reading. So as a team, we look at, are we pulling this child from that class or do they need some additional support? So we just really look at that evaluation report and determine what is it that this child needs. It could be a matter of just adding some things into the classroom structure and then they would stay in that class. If the deficit is great, then we look at maybe they need a resource from classroom. Maybe they need a full-time support classroom for that um, disability. So it really ranges. So what type of challenges are you hearing from the parents other than those tangible needs that had to be supplied? What other challenges are they facing? Um, parents don't know the work, so how can they help their children? Um, I have a lot of parents who are first generation um, English speakers and they don't understand. So they're having challenges with trying to help their children. Um, we also have those kids who need that social interaction. So they are suffering from depression now. Um, and that's something where they're still able to get teletherapy, but just having that socialization, um, that's been a challenge for students and some staff members because we don't think about um, people who may live alone or those people who don't have siblings. It's just them and a grandma. So um, I'm seeing a lot of mental health things start to pull up from there. Um, and then some kids just don't have the capacity to log on, like getting them to come into a, a classroom dojo or a Google Classroom. Even if you're walking them through, they still have challenges. My ADHD won't allow me to stay on the Zoom call for 45 minutes. So now I'm doing things that are inappropriate. You don't have that person who can kind of grab you and get you back together because your mom's in the next room working. So it's so many things that come up that we didn't plan for, but it's a real thing. And it's like, how do we help you? Because we know there's a disability. I can't come to your house though. So, you know, that's kind of where it leaves us. So can you kind of give us an example of, so you, you talked about the child who has ADHD and it's a struggle to be on a Zoom call for a whole 45 minutes. What type of things are you recommending to help that child focus? So what I asked my staff to do, I said, we're not doing 45 minute class periods. I said, 
we need to break it down. I said, their information comes to them rapidly. So give them 10 minutes and then log off. Give them 10 minute FaceTime, but then give them tangible steps. I said, you can stay on and be there if they need to come back in, but they don't need to sit and stare at your screen for 10 minutes or so. And then also touch base with the parents to see what's realistic for that household. So with a, a student with an IEP or identified as having special needs, they have an IEP that we're still mandated to process. Um, we have to still provide a free and appropriate education. So now we have to, you know, make things viable for that home situation. So if parents are working eight hours and can only give an hour of service, let's break that hour down. So that way we're not overloading a parent with a lot of work and we're not overwhelming a student who has to, who feels like they have to get all this work done. So breaking it up in small increments. That is great news. Cause I know I have been in the classroom teaching and we did something called brain breaks. And mm -hmm. it was literally every 10 to 15 minutes we were taking a break because not just the students, but you know, even the teachers need to refocus sometimes and just regroup. Right. It's just a good way to, align your classroom and so it's right. great to hear that that is still being adhered to even online mm -hmm. the one thing that i like that we do so we have something called a virtual homeroom that our counseling department came up with so you can log into your homeroom and i'm using air quotes and they gave us like um mental health exercising and probing questions basically to gauge how they are feeling and allow them to interact with each other, allow them to have conversation, but also allow the teacher to see what's happening with her students. So I, I like that we incorporated that um, just to have a little normalcy because, you know, whenever you start a class, you're doing a check and scale of one to five, five being the highest, how do you feel? So I like that we did incorporate that. So that sounds like it's a part of social emotional learning. Mm -hmm. So, I, I love that you guys are incorporating that intentionally. What are some other areas that you've noticed the social emotional learning coming into the classroom being a focus um, during the remote learning time? Oh, it, I think everything stems to that social emotional thing. Um, in case you don't know, May is um, Mental Health Awareness Month. So those check-ins are critical and we aren't even dealing with the fact that people are dying, like people's families are being affected. So we, we definitely have to touch on those points that you can't even hug people anymore. So really just tapping into that person's internal, you know, clock, like, how are you really feeling? Because we're so, oh, I'm good, I'm good. No, how are you really feeling? Um, so just being able to do that, especially with children who don't necessarily talk to us, um now i can see your face or i can hear you more so our, our senses are more aligned to um what's really happening um and we also have breakout rooms in the zoom sessions if we see somebody getting antsy we can like bump them and there's another support person waiting to have that virtual conversation with them so yeah that is fabulous i love yeah. to we have to learn to use our technology <laughs> That is great. So it sounds like that's something positive that has come out of this that didn't really exist before, but people yeah. have identified what needed some changes that needed to be made. And all of a sudden they've been put into high gear very fast. So that's excellent. 
Well, I, I can give you a downside. Um, I have parents that block me now because when they see, so we do weekly check-ins. So as an administrator, I'm checking in, hey, how, how's it going? Do you guys need anything? And the parents are like, can you guys stop calling? So over-communicating and that over-checking is now causing anxiety on some level, but it's like, we wanna make sure that you have what you need. So we're going to do these things, but parents are like, no, I'm going to just block you it's too much. Oh, no. Like, oh, okay. Is this a common response from the parents? Because it seems to me that you all are doing your best to, you know, provide service to them in spite of everything that's going on. And I don't know, is it because they're more involved because they're at home or because this <laughs> You know, kind of things you do in the classroom, in the school building. And I'm pretty sure they were grateful for it when but it was at funny. Not coming home. At high, in a high school level, us calling home, we would get disconnected numbers. We would get um, them just not answering or the students being savvy enough to block us. So now that we know you're home, we've done these surveys. We have new contact information. We're hitting you from every point. And now it's like, oh, this is too much. But being a special needs person, um, that's, it opens us up to lawsuits because we're still obligated. So if we don't do these things and we don't document, who's to say when we come out of this, it's not going to be, well, you didn't do this for my child. No, no, no. We tried. This is what happened. So documentation has definitely become uh, more critical for us. Okay. Well, that makes sense. I'm glad you all are covering your end yeah. because I would hate for somebody to turn around and say, well, we this and that and the third. And, you know, like you said, but we're offering this and we're trying. Right. You declined it because it was too much for you. Yeah, I've even gone um, as far as mailing packets home. So I was allowed to get my, my work printer. And there are some parents who are like, yeah, we just can't get with this internet thing. Don't worry, sir. We're going to mail this to you. And then if you take a picture and send me the information, I'll make sure that the teacher gets it. So it's been a lot of different things that we've had to adjust to, but we're going to make sure that the kids get educated some kind of way or have some sense of normalcy. That's great. So for parents, I know for high school, I would, I would imagine that the child probably was identified as special needs in elementary school, but in some cases, maybe not. So how yeah. can families, um, what should they look at in order to kind of like if you suspect your child has special mm -hmm. needs what should the first steps be um i always say start with your primary care physician and address some of those concerns um a lot of times when parents go to the doctors they're not asking those questions so i say stop allowing your um, physicians to rush you through those appointments really go through the things that you're seeing with your child if your child is like delayed in speech and things like that or you're noticing that the grades are not up to par have that conversation because it can start with your primary care physician um, if you're in a school place have a conversation with the teacher um, a lot of times people think that going to a lawyer automatically is the way to go no we are a team Unless you have a conversation with your child's classroom teacher, they will never know that you have concerns. So open the dialogue. Hey, I'm noticing that when 
my child does this, you know, they're writing the letters backwards. Your child could be dyslexic, but doesn't make them special needs. So I say start with a conversation. And then the teacher will naturally put some things in place because all school districts have something called child fine where they tear in um, different supports without them being tested. If you go through that child fine process and the child does not make any progress, then there's a conversation about maybe there's something deeper going on. Let's get the school psychologist involved and then they would move towards testing. Is child fine something that is um, available to homeschool families as well or only in those districts that, you know, kind of allow for homeschoolers to have access to so any student who was homeschooled absolutely has um, access to anything that their district would have access to. So if you're a homeschooling parent and something is not working with your child, you have the right to go to your school board and ask for an evaluation. That's good to know. That is good to know. I didn't know that, but that's awesome because yeah. our tax dollars are definitely funding these things. But right. if we don't know where to go in order to utilize them, you know, we're not necessarily getting our children the services that they need. So that's important. Right. Yeah. And when you homeschool, the district is still getting like testing information and all that stuff. Whatever you're doing at home, you have to submit something. So when you go in there, hey, I need to speak to the Office of Special Education. Um, I have some concerns and they'll walk you through that process. Right. So how can homeschooling parents get support for their child, our children from their public school system, other than like, how do they go about identifying the departments? Because sometimes I feel like in having conversations online in homeschool groups, people will say, hey, I have a special needs child. What do I do next? You know, so you just mm -hmm. said that you can go to the um, what, I think, what is it called? The superintendent's office? School district? The school district. So whatever district you're in has a school district where you can actually go to their office and there's um, a plethora of services that you can get. There should be somebody in a homeschool um, capacity that can kind of walk you through that. But if your child is identified as having special needs, you have a report. And in that report, it's giving you next steps. So it could be um, connecting with community agencies, depending on what the disability is, but there's always a next step that the, um, psych the testing psychologist is providing to you. So it would be up to you to take the paperwork, and I recommend for all parents to have a binder. Um, anytime you request something, write down who you spoke to, how, like the modality that you used, was it email, was it phone, the time because um, you want to keep those records. And especially um, when you're dealing with special education, if you ever have to sue or something like that, you want to have all of your information gathered in one space. You need to have a paper trail just so Absolutely. that they'll know that you did everything on your end as well. So that's important. I like that you mentioned to have a binder and they need to date it and they need to say who, who they spoke to. What else should they include in that binder? Um, first point of contact. So whenever you request special education services, the school has 10 days to get you a letter and that's the um, intent to evaluate. So from that, once you sign that, they have 60 days to test your child. I would have 
whatever request, however you sent it, I would have that with the date, who you gave it to, have them sign something, make a copy. They usually have a date stamp, I would do that. I'm a bit extreme, but you know, it's all about compliance. And then every time you have some kind of communication or correspondence, you put it in there. So your parent teacher correspondence, I would have that. I would keep samples of work, the kind of things that um, is being provided to your child. Any Anything that you get, any piece of paper, any email, print it out, keep it in your binder. That's excellent advice. Thank you. Are there any books that you would recommend for parents to read to help them learn how to cope with raising a child who's special needs? Oh, it's so many books. Um, I'm thinking about an elementary school book. Um, and it's perhaps you know my child. Um, I'll have to send you the exact name, but it's for parents who um, suffer, who have children who suffer with ADHD. Um, there's also um, a lot of books by Malefi Asante, um, especially if you have sons. Boys, it's a scientific fact that boys learn differently. A boy will never sit still. You have to, you know, actively have them doing project-based learning things with their hands. Um, I have a plethora of books on my bookshelf, so I'll send you the names and that way you can link them in the bio because I'm drawing a blank. But yeah, two books specifically, perhaps you know my kid, and then um, rate, um, Educating Our Black Boys. I think Malafia Asante is the author. Okay, those are awesome. Thank you. And we'll be looking out for that list so that I can include it yes. in the show notes. Yes. Yeah, well, to give you some context, I've always been in the African-centered um, education space because I believe that um, our children just learn different. Um, I've tried other district schools and things like that. And I was just like, nah, that's not working for me. <laughs> so um, I just always come back to the black and brown communities just because I know there are certain things that I'm going to get within that educational experience that I would not get anywhere else. So, yeah. It's very true. <laughs> so, well, do you have any, um, any websites or learning, um, I don't know what to call them, learning alternatives, you know, things that can help those who have special needs? Um, Khan Academy is great. They have a thing called TeacherTube, which is like a YouTube, but geared towards teachers um, and parents and other educators. They have great science experiments. Um, depending on the age group, I would say Reading Eggs, Study Island, um, Reading A to Z, especially you can get a, a free account and they have books and they have um, lesson plans. They have all different kinds of things. So you could do guided reading with your child. Um, and we know the high interest, low level books, you can download those types of books. Um, Bookshare is something that I enjoy. So for those higher um the higher grades, if you create an account there, any book that you can think of usually is there. And it will have the auditory, it will have um, the highlights, that kind of thing. So I use that a lot of times as a um, modification for our students. If they're reading novels in class, they have access to the bookshare. So not only do they have an electronic version, it's something that can read to them. So while they're riding the bus, I'm like, use it as a podcast and, and listen. I say, because they could be an auditory learner 
versus getting intimidated by a book that's this thick and you know they they don't want to read it so i think those are great starting points um I'm trying to think my i have an eight-year-old she does something called zern so you can do lots of activities through there also all right well last but not least this is yeah. our last question what um can you provide some words of encouragement to parents oh dear parents you we do not expect you to be your child's teacher just stay consistent and make sure they're doing a little bit of something every day um, we don't want you to try to reinvent the wheel just make sure that they're engaged and you can be creative since you're home have them go through the cabinets and you know do recipes that's science that's reading it's math um just get creative and don't overwhelm yourself like just really be gentle with yourself because this is all our new norm and we're not expecting you to be an expert in our field we just want you to support us as best that you can because we're trying to support you as best that we can from afar Awesome. Well, thank you everybody for joining us. Can you, um, I will definitely put that information in the show notes so that people can just follow up and gain new insight from the resources that you shared. So I thank you for Absolutely. your time and for the conversation. I think I learned so much about special needs children. And I think that there's a lot that we can take from this conversation. Absolutely. And let's not forget about those kids who may not be identified, but still have a disability nonetheless. Like people always think about those physical disabilities, but there are so many disabilities that we can't see. So we don't want to leave those kids out either or adults. I know you made me think, man, am I a special needs person? <laughs> I think we all got a little something going on. Yeah, we all have a little right on it. <laughs> Yes, and it's okay. It's what yeah, it's great and wonderful and it's awesome. Absolutely. Just be gentle with yourself. Like we'll get outside soon enough, but you gotta take care of you first and foremost. I love that. Take care of you. You know, those are excellent words to kind of end the conversation on. You know, be gentle with yourself and take care of you. So thank you so much for just all the information that you shared and your time. We appreciate it. You're welcome. This was awesome. It's very nice to meet you, ladies. Nice to meet you too. <laughs> thank you.